Welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio. Hey, we're back. We're back. It's uh, We've been gone for two weeks. We appreciate your patience. Uh, Thanksgiving, we took that week off, decided not to bore you with a, with a rerun. And then last week, um, well, I'll let Rich explain one part of it, um, but we just uh, we could not get together and uh, circumstances just kind of kept didn't even let me get to a computer to you know try and dig one up. So we ended up with a two week vacation. I'm sure that was a a, a little confusing for you guys because normally we at least put out a rerun. But thank you for the two week vacation. We appreciate that. But it is now we are in December. I cannot believe this. We are actually in December. It is December 10th. We are literally two weeks away from Christmas, uh, which means that uh, Alan Nelson is gone full North Pole and uh, he's had the tree up since june he's had christmas music since march and uh now everything is probably wrapped and packaged and sitting on uh you know ready to go and uh he, he's just he's in full you know full christmas mode i am absolutely certain of this but um <laughs> we are grateful to be back with you thank you for your patience thank you for uh always being a part of this program and and always uh, coming alongside us and and praying for us and sharing the program. We are so grateful. Just just want to remind you, since it's been two weeks, we are part of the Christian Podnet. Yeah, suddenly can't talk. See, two weeks out, <laughs> two weeks out, I suddenly can't talk. This is not a good start. So we are part of the Christian Podcast Community, which is a collection of podcasters that have come under one umbrella. Uh, primarily under the uh, umbrella of striving for eternity, they're the ones that have created this community, and they they are the ones that vet what has come through. And it's not just Andrew doing it, by the way. Andrew has a team of people, and I, I'm certain that they don't agree on every little detail. So yeah, <laughs> there's a great vetting process, and to get in and be part of it. And I really would encourage you to go check it out. Uh, you will always find an excellent uh, set of programs on there. In fact, our good friend Gene Clyatt, uh, you know, squirrel from the piney woods of, of, of Montana, has his daily podcast on there. He reads through the Bible. He talks about different things. I'm telling you, you got to get into and listen to that program. Our good friends uh, who actually gave, gave us a shout out, Eki and Nathaniel from uh, their their show, Truth Be Known. Uh, Excellent, excellent program. In fact, going to shout out for them the show that they did in which they shouted out us. Um, so thank you guys, and we're going to shout out back to you. But uh, I recommend theirs. I've, I've said it before. They were on our program. I, if you guys remember the last show we did, um, I'm going to recommend their show that they did. And it's we're talking about similar topics. So we didn't steal from, uh, from each other, but uh, you know they, they they took my article, which we're going to talk about tonight, and they were talking about some issues uh, surrounding that. And we're going to talk about some responses to my article, and uh, that's how we're going to get into this. Now, also, Hearts for the Lost Radio, Brian Nind, he's uh, got a fantastic new podcast with regards to evangelism. Also going to recommend you go check that one out. Brian is an awesome brother. Love him to death. And uh, Brian started listening to our show and is loving it. So that's this is this is not our way of kind of you know sliding him a check, but we do want you to go check out his podcast. Podcast. It's this isn't payback for all the nice things he said, but we really do want you to to get involved with his podcast and be encouraged about evangelism. So all of that is stuff you can find in Christian podcast community. So go please check that out. Now I have been telling you time and again. Go to slavetothekingcom our website, and become a follower of the website, which some of you did, 
And some of you who have never heard of us started doing that because of the article that we put out this week, which we're going to talk about. That that's how you're going to know when something cool like this uh, this podcast comes out, or that it, you know, like this podcast or an article we do. That's how you're going to be notified a lot of ways because you know Google, big tech stuff like that. They don't always they, they they're not great about making sure uh, people they don't like get a lot of notice. So getting signed up for that and, and get becoming a follower, you get the email notification when something new comes out. That is the best way to keep abreast of what's going on with this podcast and the articles that we put out. So go to slavetothekingcom become a subscriber. And if you go there, make sure you check out the Patreon support page. Okay. Go on your blog, uh, your, your, your like browser version, if you can. I still don't know how to make that thing show up on a <laughs> on a mobile version. I'm gonna have to create a different page and put it at the top. I think. I think that's the only way I can make that happen. But I would rec please go check out our Patreon page. You know, I, I'm gonna be. It, this is full disclosure. It, we don't have any supporters on there yet, but we ask you guys to consider doing it because it helps us to be able to you know just be able to uh, you know pay the bills, so to speak. If you don't, hey, no. No pressure on this. It's not like we're we're not going to pull the, the televangelist nonsense. Well, we're going to shut down if you don't support us. If if we if we're if God wants us to be on the air, He's going to make sure we're on the air. But if you guys are in a place where you think He can help us, we would appreciate it. So that's that's just one way you can do that. And of course, the link to the the uh, store over at doctrineandlife.co, which has shirts and our stickers. I can't believe this. We have stickers now. Uh, so you can. These are ways that you can support the program. So all of that you can find at slavetothekingcom And again, check out the Christian podcast community. Both of those are highly recommended, please. So thank you for tolerating that first few minutes. I'm getting better, I think, Rich. I think I'm getting a little bit better at not droning on forever and ever and ever. So <laughs> I'm going to work on that, try to, to tighten that up so you guys don't have to listen to so much of it. But we're so grateful to be back. And I finally get to say this after now three weeks because he couldn't be here last time. Hey, Rich, how you doing, brother? <laughs> hey, brother. Better than I deserve. Yeah, it's been nearly a month since you and I recorded together. I was not able to be a part of the episode when Eki and Nathaniel joined you. I don't remember what was going on that week. My last <laughs> several weeks have just been a blur. Um as of today, I have a week-old grandson. My daughter, my daughter gave birth to my first and only grandson last week, and I think everyone that prayed, I had put out a post. There was some issues there for a little while, but both both are healthy and are recovering. And I'd like to thank those that prayed for a safe delivery and for the health of both my daughter and my grandson. So now I'm a grandpa three times over. I have two granddaughters and now a grandson. Congratulations, unless, brother. That is awesome. And unless something drastically hap drastic happens, that will be the only grandchildren I ever have. <laughs> I know my sons are not listening to this, but they are in no hurry to get married. And I don't foresee them getting in a hurry to get married. So I, I don't know. I have a feeling that these may be the only three grandchildren I ever am familiar with and <laughs> that being said like i said thank you for the prayers um i will correct one thing you said um our brother brian with with the podcast he's 
started Hearts for the Lost Radio, they are actually part of the Bar Network, oh, not the Christian right. Podcast community. Uh, I've so, got I got um, in such a such a track. I for, I got I got off track. So sorry about that, Brian. <laughs> yeah, at this point, we need little sticky notes about everybody we listen to and <laughs> interact with because sometimes it can get confusing and hard to keep up with. But well, and, and then some of them, as, like Chris Huffle, jump you know jump communities and goes from one to the other, and then you're completely lost. So sorry, brother. <laughs> <laughs> and as far as I know, Brian. And I apologize, I cannot remember the brother's name that does that podcast with him. But um, as far as I know, Hearts for Lost Radio is the only current podcast completely devoted to nothing but evangelism. And I love that because, you know, I happen to dabble in evangelism just a little bit. So, um, <laughs> just a little bit. Um, I, I, I was really thrilled and been encouraged by listening to their their podcast. It, they only do one episode a month. Um, Brian, you need to put out more than that. But um, other than that, <laughs> the first two episodes were really good. I would encourage everyone to go listen. And I won't rehash everything you said, but just so you know, I love the podcast. All of those guys that you mentioned, those are some dear brothers. But um, I know, like you said in the intro, we both have had a kind of strange couple of weeks, I guess would be one way to put it. Yeah. And Things have been kind of crazy and hectic, but I want to ask you a question. And I know you, that you draw up tight when you hear that come out of my mouth because you have no clue what's coming out next. <laughs> but you wrote an article this week and posted it. Um, and I know that a good many of our listeners already know the article that I'm speaking of. But I want to ask you a question directly. What compelled you to feel like you needed to write that article and put that information out there. You know, it's it's funny because I even sent it a copy to my pastor because it was one of those articles that has the potential for becoming, even though it shouldn't be, in my opinion, it could become controversial. And because of that, and because how social media is fond of going on the hunt and looking for people to cancel, I, I sent it to him with that in mind. And he asked the same question, what, what prompted this? Now, to, um, to clarify what Rich is talking about, the, the article that I wrote on December 6th was, should we platform survivors to end abuse in the church? And we'll put that show, uh, the link in the show notes. The reason I wrote it is it's, it's been running around in my head really for months and it's because we have seen this over recent years efforts to kind of say, okay, abuse happens in the church. We've got some kind of high profile abuse survivors. And those survivors are being given a platform to speak to the church. And, and, and I think on the surface, most of us go, okay, that's, that sounds, that sounds like not a bad thing. And then we've been, seeing the direction in, in that some of those who have been platformed seem to want to go. Sometimes that's not been a good thing. And, and we saw that within recent SBC conventions and, and stuff. And so the, the more I've seen this, the more it's kind of run in the back of my mind. And, and one of the things that kind of formulated 
this and I thought about it as a podcast episode. I, I thought about maybe having like Michelle Leslie come on. I, I talked because I had talked to her at the Cruciform Conference about this issue. And it's that one of the things and, and she she made a, an excellent point. And I think it's one of the things that kind of ruminated in the back of my mind for a while now was. Those that are being platformed seem to be. And I want to be careful about how I say this because I'm not trying to cast aspersions. There seems to be this emphasis to keep their identity as victims. Not that their identity is a, a purchased, redeemed soul in Christ who has been victimized. That, that Not that their identity is that they are Christian, purchased by Christ, whom has had to endure some horrible trial or tribulation but rather that their identity is first victim, then Christian. And that's where they seem to stay. And so that thought has been running into my mind as I see some of these things develop, see that some of these conversations take place, especially on social media. And just as I continue to encounter individuals, discussions that have occurred, that just continued to cement in my mind. And then it was Dan Phillips, who is a pastor in Texas, who had made mention of the fact, you know, he kind of one of these bullet point tweets, but that really encapsulated how, how so often this plays out. And it was kind of a, a two-way conversation where a person says, I'm a victim of you know such and such abuse. And the response being, wow, that is so terrible. I'm so sorry for you. And the kind of, you know, kind of a, in a sarcastic response way saying, oh, since the only thing you showed uh, showed me was uh, c- concern for me, I'm going to, sh- you know, uh, or, you know uh, shower you with vile you know, and, and uh, uh, pejoratives and, and, and language. And, and it's like, that's that's exactly it. It's it's this expectation where if a person is brought up to the stage, so to speak as a victim of abuse, it isn't enough, it seems, that the individual be cared for as a victim and, and concern showed and people wanting to pray and uh, and let's care for this person in a way that leads them back to Christ for healing and, 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 and uh, being made whole, etc. But rather... If that's the only concern you have, you don't care about this victim. You need to listen to them, not question them, not make them demonstrate how or why what they're saying is true, but rather, just like we see with standpoint epistemology, this person has unique knowledge that you could never have. It cannot be questioned and you must do exactly what they say. And so... From that conversation with Michelle Leslie all the way up through that tweet by Dan Phillips, my mind has just been running with these thoughts about how how do we look at this? How do we address this? And the end result of that was me sitting down and trying to figure out why where do I see problem with the idea of platforming? And, and, and I think some people misunderstand what I mean by platforming. Because there were some who responded to say, I, I, I was trying to deny, and we'll get into the, some of the objections. But they're saying, in fact, that's what the episode's going to be about. We're going to talk about some of the objections to the article, because I want you to read the article. Um, rather, they're saying, well, you're not giving them a voice. That's not what I, at all what I said. 
Okay, when I say platforming, and I just want to clarify, Rich, when I say platforming, I'm talking about like when you have the SBC at its big convention, I think it was when the the year J.D. Greer got elected, um, you had certain individuals who are known for being abuse survivors up on a Q&A panel or speaking in, in, in a directly in, in some sort of speech or teaching about abuse. Now, I'm not talking about a pastor getting up and, and going through examples of abuse that has occurred at various times and in various places and using that to say this convention is something we need to be concerned about and this is why we should have this particular resolution or whatnot. We're talking about taking individuals who have written a book or who have spoken at these conferences and putting them up as the person to lead and be a, a, a speaker to and kind of the person that we need to follow on this issue. Uh, or people that we know via social media who have written books, who are being endorsed by Russell Moore and um, who have said publicly they don't feel the need to forgive a person who hurt, who hurt them. Um, and sadly, platforming also means taking someone who's truly troubled. And we're, I'm not naming names for a reason because the second I say a name, it's basically like loading a gun and handing it to the, the people out there waiting for me to drop names and saying, point it to my head and say, go ahead and pull the trigger. Because the second I drop, I drop names, that's when these individuals are going to ignore everything that we say on this program tonight and they're going to make it about the names. And that's not what this is about. Trying to give the examples, trying to paint enough of a picture that you understand what I mean by platforming. But the one that really struck out to me was just during this last SBC convention when a very troubled young lady was paraded around the convention and used in political stunts and then basically ignored once the convention was over. I mean, this is a troubled young lady who says she has endured abuse, who has, by her own admission, left the faith, but she was lifted up and said, you need to listen to this person. This is why we need to do this. This is why we need to, and then when the convention's over, she's forgotten. That's what I mean by platforming. And so when I see that, and, and just to give you a taste, Rich, or and the listeners, for what I, I wrote the article for, is there were two things I wanted people to understand. Number one, there is something the church must be doing when we have people who have genuinely been hurt. And that the first is that we must come in and we must love this person enough to bring them to the Word of God and counsel them, bring them to the foot of the cross, bring them through the reconciliation of Christ, bring them into the recognition that even in suffering, God restores us, God forms us, God prepares us for the future, and that we can fix our eyes on Christ. And we, while we are never promised an easy life, what happens to us can often be very wrong and very unjust. And, and, we, and we want people held accountable, but we want to care for this person in a biblical way. And we want to identify what happened to them. We want to fix the situations, if we can, that 
led to that, and we want to hold accountable those who have committed such things. That's what the church must do. What the church should not do is take the person who needs our care and put them on a stage and say, now lead us. Now be the voice for every victim. Now be the person who tells the churches how they're getting it wrong. Why do we not want to do that? Because number one, we're, identif- we're keeping their identity as a victim. That's the only thing they get to be. That doesn't bring healing. That enslaves them to their pain and their suffering. Secondly, it, it actually tears down their trust of the church. Because think about it, we're saying this abuse occurred in a church. It occurred under the leadership of someone or was, or occurred by someone who was a leader. And so if we put them on the stage and say, lead us and where all the churches are getting it wrong, what have we created? A person who is a victim who believes that the entire church, and I had people respond, Rich, I had people respond and say, this isn't a those churches out there problem. This is a whole church problem. That was a quote. Okay, this is a whole church problem. You're creating this wall of distrust. The people that they should come to, the people that they should be cared for by are the ones that are the problem. And then lastly, we put that person up there and we say, lead us. And then we act because they have this great knowledge that we cannot question. And when we do that, we, we give this, them this impenetrable armor that anything that they say is gospel. And we don't question it because we don't want to re-victimize them. And we don't stop to think, is this a biblical answer? Is this how it should be done? Is this the right person to speak? Is this person qualified to speak? Oh, they're a victim. Of course they're qualified. Are they? Biblically, are they qualified? We stop asking questions. We stop caring. We start we stop trying to heal. And we open them and the church to going astray. So those were things that I talked about in the article. That was why I wanted to write it, Rich. I hope that answers the question. You know, you did a very good job. Um, after, out of those three points, one before we get into some of the objections, I would like to point out that especially the world does not understand the difference between a church and a biblical church. And more times than not, even professing Christians don't understand the difference because I was listening to a sermon by John MacArthur not long ago, and I think it was actually recorded last year, but he was quoting statistics from one of those surveys among evangelicals that was like a third or a quarter said that Jesus was a created being and that Jesus was not actually God and and a lot Mm -hmm. of things like this that are contrary to biblical truth. And there are literally millions of churches that adhere to and hold to a false Christ that are, they, they claim the name of church, but biblically and theologically and what they're teaching and preaching is not biblical. So that's one thing that as biblical Christians, we need to keep in mind that when someone is claiming the church did this, this, or this, the first question you need to ask is, what type of church are they talking about? 
Are they talking about a Catholic church? Are they mm-hmm. talking about a Mormon church, Jehovah's Witness church? You know, whatever adjective you want to place right there, even though it has the word church in the title, does not mean it's biblical. Yeah. And that's one of the questions that should be getting asked. Are we talking about a sound biblical church, or are we talking about a church of Judas? Yeah. Because there are far more churches that resemble Judas more than they resemble Christ. And the part about these victims being experts, I will share this. I'm not going into any details, but over the course of my life, I've been a victim of every type of abuse that you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Just because I have suffered abuse of some sort does not make me an expert on that abuse. It does not make me an expert on how to help others that are victims of that abuse. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying this as someone that has suffered abuse. And like I said, it's been pretty much any and every kind you can imagine. That does not make me an expert on abuse. It does not make me an expert on how to deal with abuse that others have suffered. The Bible is clear, and I really think that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, really applies when we're speaking of these people that are elevated to expert just because they have been abused Mm -hmm. and and they went through the process, sadly, more times than not, these people are elevated before they are actually healed themselves. They're in the midst of pain and suffering and vengeance and, and every other kind of emotion you want to put on it. They're still somewhere in that grieving process, but yet they're being elevated as an expert when, especially in a church setting, that that should never happen because until they've been healed themselves, they cannot truly express and try to turn around and use what they've gone through to help others because they're still in the midst of it themselves to a certain degree. Yeah. Now, they may can, you know, provide some advice to another individual, but as far as being put on a platform to speak about it, they it, people that are putting those victims on that platform, they're, they're actually doing more harm than good. But in first Timothy, first Timothy chapter three, verse six, it, and this is the chapter when it talks about qualifications for elders and overseers and pastors, but there's much in chapter three that really should apply to any individual that's being platformed and, and elevated to that celebrity type status that are, on a stage trying to speak to the church on an issue, there are qualifications that they still should adhere to biblically in order to be able to turn around and try to lead or teach others. But one of them is he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fail, may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. More times than not, in these individuals that you spoke of that have been put on that platform and elevated to the level of expert when it comes to telling the church what to do and how to prevent it and how to deal with it, they are basically in that puffed up stage. Mm -hmm. They have not matured to beyond the pain and suffering. And as far as I know, and you can correct me if I'm incorrect, none of these individuals that you have in mind have ever went through any type of training, such as uh, um, Association of Certified Biblical Counselor training. They've not gone through any type of training 
to be better equipped to help other people. They're basically just, their idea of helping is by venting their own frustrations and complaining about their own situation. And all I see happening is a perpetual cycle of their victimhood being put on other people who end up staying in their own cycle of victimhood, never growing beyond that point. And in one of the replies in, in to, to you on Twitter about that article, we're, we're talking about, you know, well, this leads to spiritual abuse because all the church wants to do is teach them how to forgive. Well, guess what? That's the center. One of the center teachings of Christ is forgiving, mm-hmm. learning how to forgive others. And unless that person has grown to that point, maybe not necessarily able to forgive the person that hurt them, but they should at least be growing in their desire to be able to forgive that person that hurt them. Yeah. I don't think they they have reached that point of qualifications where they should really be speaking out in that public forum about these situations. And let's be honest, every situation is different. Some are valid, some are invalid, some are exaggerated. All of them are horrible. But there's there's, there's no cookie-cutter solution to these problems. There's no cookie-cutter answer to these solutions, I mean, to these problems, because each individual's experience will be different. And nothing is ever spoken, and this is not going to be popular, but there is a mount there is an amount of personal responsibility mm-hmm. that goes into play in these situations. Yeah. People will not want to hear this, but as a parent, you need to be sure to protect your children, especially in this day and age. Protect your children against abuse by not letting them go alone with anyone from the church, whether it's man or woman. There should be someone present at all, all times. If you're a woman, you should never be in a situation where you're alone with a man. You should not be, even if you're a counselor, you should not be conducting counseling sessions alone with a man. If you're a woman seeking a pastor's counsel, maybe even about your marriage, you should not be in that counseling session alone with a man, period. And that doesn't just apply to church. That implies to all areas of life. You've got to take personal responsibility and look out yourself, look out for your brothers and sisters, and look out for the children. Because when Christ sent the disciples out, he told them, I send you out as sheep among wolves, but be wise as serpents, meaning you need to stay on the lookout and be careful and exercise personal responsibility, exercise some discernment, don't let yourself end up in a situation where something bad might happen. I know that's not popular. I know that there's going to be a lot of people that hear this, they're going to take issues with that, but I'm sorry, it is the biblical truth. Yes or no, brother? I know, I absolutely agree with you. And it is an unpopular stance because it calls upon us to be aware not only of situations we could put ourselves in where we could be victimized. And that's not blaming the victim, by the way. Look, if I walk out to my car late at night, and I've parked my car in a in a bad spot where I it, it's nobody can see it. It's in the dark. It may be that I did nothing wrong in doing that, but be that is a situation where I could potentially be victimized. Yeah. 
because of what would have been at the time an innocent place to park my car, I thought. I if I exercise if I exercise a more caution, I might be able to avoid a bad situation. So maybe I can't avoid being in that situation, but if I have someone come with me, if I have someone go you know walk out with me and I drive them back to their car, there's ways that I can mitigate. That doesn't mean that I'm wrong if I'm victimized. It just means me trying to think, okay, what are better ways for me to handle the situation to prevent my victimization as much as I can? And the sad part about what you're saying, Rich, is that a lot of people say, well, you're victim blaming. And what we really need to do is fix this issue over here. Well, I would say we handle both issues. Equip people to put themselves in, you know, to avoid situations as much as they can to mitigate as much as we can put being in a place of victimization while at the same time as a church teaching people to act in a godly manner. I think both are necessary and I, and it's unpopular because it doesn't allow a person who's been victimized to say, you know, to, to relinquish any possible way of dealing with their situation where they could have done something different. And I know that's an unpopular thing to say, and it's a difficult thing to say because you recognize there are going to be people gnashing their teeth at saying that. So I, I, I agree with you. The other thing that I agree with is you were talking about the issue of forgiveness because people say, well, if you, you know, if you, if you, if the, uh, you tell them to go to the church for healing, they're going to teach people to be forgiven, and that's just letting people off the hook. Look, forgiveness doesn't mean that you you allow a person to get away with it and, and, and that, there's, that there's no accountability. Forgiveness is you've done something to me by which you have no right to be forgiven. But I, because I am a purchased child of God who has forgiven even more of, of what I've done than you ever did to me. And this is going to be something that's not popular to say either. A person who's been victimized as evil as what that's been done to them. What we have to remember is there is no evil done to us that is greater than the evil we've committed against God. We've got to remember this. I, What I do, even if, if I've never physically, spiritually, or mentally abused anyone, the evil I've committed against Christ throughout my entire life of all the sins I've ever committed is greater than there were things done to me when I was younger that I don't want to talk about. Yet, what happened to me is evil as it was, was not as evil as what I've done to Christ. And Christ forgave me because of his dying and, and receiving my penalty of sin on the cross. Therefore, even though if a person were to victimize me, if I were to be physically abused today, I, like my Savior, can extend forgiveness even though forgiveness is not required is is not deserved. And so we become more like our Savior. Not that that person doesn't deserve accountability for their actions. They do. But I no longer entrust myself to be the one who seeks vengeance. 
in some capacity. I leave vengeance to God. Because vengeance is his, saith the Lord. Forgiveness is this thing. I like what Daryl Harrison posted. Uh, was it today? I think just today. Yeah, here it is. Um, Biblical forgiveness is less about time and more about truth. Quick, insincere forgiveness is not true forgiveness. God's standard of forgiveness is that it is from the heart, Matthew 18, 35, which can take time. Forgiveness should only be as quick as we can truthfully do so. That said, if you're a professing Christian who is struggling to genuinely forgive, and this is to your point, Rich, struggling to forgive someone from your heart, I humbly urge you to plead with Christ to change your heart so as to be able to biblically forgive him or her in light of all that you all that has been been forgiven you Ephesians 4:32 it can take a long time and we can be struggling with forgiveness but forgiveness is something that the scriptures teach us to do doesn't mean that we so the person doesn't get held accountable but we relinquish that to God and we forgive them for what they've done to us um, does that make sense rich am i am, is that in, kind of in conjunction with what you're saying there oh absolutely brother but even in a more down-to-earth practical application, you need, people need to understand when we forgive someone that has abused us, that act of forgiving is not for the benefit of the abuser. Forgiving and forgiveness is for the benefit of the victim because the longer and harder you hold on to that bitterness and that anger and that vengeance, you are actually re submitting, for lack of a better word, resubmitting to that abuser because they are still controlling you. They're still in control over you in your mind and in your thoughts because when you hold on to that anger and that bitterness and and you get to the point to where people see that coming out and what you say and what you post and it becomes obvious that you're still holding on to that anger and bitterness, the person that abused you is still actually in control over you. You are basically a slave to victimhood instead Mm -hmm. of submitting to and becoming more a slave to Christ. Because forgiveness glorifies Christ, glorifies God, glorifies his word, but it also releases you from that anger and bitterness, which is one of the deceptions of Satan and how he works through individuals, even professing Christians, when things like this happen. Yeah. It is not an easy path. It is not easy to overcome. And it's honestly not easy to get to that point to where you truly can forgive someone that has really, really abused you or hurt you. But what Daryl wrote is dead on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If you have no desire whatsoever to forgive that individual, you need to be praying that Christ grants you a heart able to forgive that person, or at least at the very minimum, grant you the desire to seek that forgiveness. I mean, there's a huge difference between putting your feet firmly on the ground and holding up your fist and saying, I refuse to forgive this person versus saying, I can't forgive them yet, but I really would like to be able to forgive them at some point in the future. And sadly, that second part is never, I rarely ever see that mentioned. It seems like it always leans more towards that feet, firmly planted on the ground, fist up, in defensive mode. There's no way I can ever forgive this person. Do you see that, brother? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I and I think that's the issue about when we talk about platforming 
individuals is that it, it goes back to that what is the church's calling in dealing with this situation versus what are the pitfalls and, and what you just described is one of those concerns I articulated in the article um, that they are not they may not be responding in a biblical manner and we're not examining that in a way that we should. So I want to talk about uh, you know before we get too much further into this I want to start talking about some of the objections that that were raised some that I think there were people that were just out and out trolls and those individuals they either got muted or blocked quite quickly um I, did you I have will something? say this right as as you go into this I read I think almost every response I could find to your post mm-hmm. and it, to me it was beyond obvious a great number of individuals that responded yeah. never clicked the article never read the article they just jumped on there with a knee-jerk reaction to the title of the article and assumed they knew what you were talking about without having ever actually read the article. Which so is funny if, because in the second sentence, I asked them before you assume the content, read the, read the article. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say, if you're listening to this episode and you have not read that article, please go read the article so you have you truly understand the context of this discussion. Now, brother, I know you were going to this, but how about let's addressing some of the objections you actually did receive yeah. that had a little more weight than the typical troll drive-by. Yeah, yeah th- I certainly did not bookmark any that were, I think, of that nature. It was, just wasn't worth the time getting into them. But there were a few here Good. that I wanted to get into. One of them is from a particular pastor, and I, I'll leave his name out of it because I don't know anything about him. Might be a particularly great, you know, great guy, but I just he's a pastor, and I thought what he some two things that he said here were interesting, and he he's and he's got like a four post thread, and I'll just address a couple of points. One of them was that, um, in in reference to the fact about bringing them to the cross, he says the biggest issue here is that it repeatedly denies agency to victims of abuse. It's found subtly in the language "bring them" and conceptually throughout. I agree that God's word knows better than abuse survivors or anyone how to end cycles of abuse when it speaks on these issues. But, and he puts that in capitals, there seems to be an assumption that the survivors won't be people of the book. Only pastors, elders should speak. So let's, let's address that because that was kind of a repeated refrain in some of the objections that I was denying agency or denying a voice to victims. If you read the article, one of the things that I, I made a very strong point of addressing, because I do believe that one of the issues that is, is a problem in the church is that there have been, and I'll say it this way, it has happened enough times, there are enough accounts of abuse within churches that we can pick out a pattern. Okay, so this isn't a super rare thing. It may not be the occurrence in every church, as some survivor blogger types would, uh, would... would And by the way, if you tattle on me to the well-known survivor bloggers, you got blocked for a reason, because I already know those guys, okay? Not because I didn't want to address your obje- objections. Survivor bloggers are called that for a reason. <laughs> they are very basically, nasty people. So <laughs> basically, basically, some of those people were just just doing a drive-by reply. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, getting back to my point. 
when I what I said is that there there is there's enough of an issue there where it's happened under church leadership. It's happened and the church covered it up. It's happened and people didn't listen or learn. That the church needs to step up. We can't just say, well, we don't want there to be a scandal. We need to step up. And so one of the things that I said in the article more than once was that when a person comes forward and we actually know that this person's a, a, been abused in, in some way, it's one of the incumbent things upon that church is to learn what happened, how, and why. Because that victim can tell us something that maybe we missed, maybe we were just too blind to pay attention, maybe there was... Maybe we thought we had it covered and there was a there was a gaping hole that nobody knew about. Maybe because we wanted somebody who was charismatic, we didn't pay attention to what they believed. Maybe we were just too enamored with growing the church that we didn't pay attention to what was happening in the ranks. Victims of abuse have a voice. And we should hear them. What I'm not saying... So when you say, I'm denying agency too, you did not understand what I said. Because you have elevated the, the concept of giving a voice to or agency to, as this pastor said, to a place of, well, the church isn't really handling this well and, and you don't want that person to speak about it. You, you want the church to speak about it. And you assume that the person who's the victim doesn't doesn't know the word of God and is I, I never said those things. What I said was, biblically speaking, those who have been qualified by God, and I say qualified by God, not qualified because we had this great pastoral search committee and this is what we these were the things we came up with, okay? No, qualified by God in the sense that they are actually meeting the requirements of things like first and second Timothy and Titus, okay, who actually have sound understanding of scripture, who have a life that is actually examinable. And, and, and they're a person of good reputation who cares for their family. That kind, those kind of things. Okay? Qualified by God to step up and lead the church. Those are the ones who should be doing so. Why? Because they are the ones that God has called and placed in that position. And I can tell you right now, I can hear the grinding of teeth and the tensing of neck muscles, and the throbbing of the pulse of people who say, you've just set people up for abuse because those pastors are going to abuse them. That's not, You did not hear what I said. Because as a church, when we put a person in the position of pastor, as an elder, as a leader in the church, there are qualifications that we are required to understand. This is what is important about when I say pastors, leaders, elders are the ones leading this and making these changes and learning and doing something. These are people who, by definition, are people that God has qualified. Not some Stephen Furtick 
you know, uh, wannabe who t teaches garbage or some charismatic personality or somebody who's really popular, but, or somebody who might grow the church or somebody who's knowledgeable, but their life doesn't match what they teach. But this is a requirement of the body of Christ to do what the body is supposed to do. And that's hold each other accountable. Go ahead, brother. I have one short, simple question for you. Yeah. That I'm hoping that might be able to help some pastors and individuals. Mm -hmm. If you go, to, if if you go to a pastor and ask the pastor, when you counsel individuals from your church, are you willing to counsel a woman alone? Would that not reveal volumes about what that pastor believes and Absolutely. where? the other direction in that church might go because if a pastor is willing to counsel say a young lady alone behind closed doors, does that not reveal some of the character and, and qualifications and the theology of that pastor when it comes to these other issues? Is that not a very plain and simple way to kind of gauge where this church and this pastor and the, ones that hired him, the search committee, where they might stand in all these other theological issues. Because I have found myself that individuals that you and I both have, have interacted with over the years, that pastors that are willing to meet alone with members of the opposite sex behind closed doors tend to be very liberal in their theology when it comes to deep theological matters. Do you see that, or am I completely off base? Well, I, no, I, I think that's absolutely correct. I, and this is where the, the responsibility of the church needs to come back into play. Those questions are important because that tells us something about what does this person believe about themselves? If they think that the, what they think they think they're they're not capable of sin, that they're not capable of falling and not capable of exercising authority in a way that's inappropriate? If they won't answer that question, or they answer it in a way that is either kind of vague or, yeah, I don't see a problem with it, I, that, that, should, that should be alarm bells of all kinds. One more thing, brother. Mm -hmm. um, I will add this, that, and I can't remember who posted it the other day, but I'm kind of paraphrasing it. Maturity, Christian maturity, when it comes to sin, is not believing that you're immune to sin, but Chris, true Christian maturity as it applies to sin is realizing that you should not place yourself in a situation of temptation to mm -hmm. sin. I, I absolutely agree. You know, it's funny. You, li you listen to all these people who criticized former Vice President Mike Pence of his rule of not being with a woman alone, and then you turn around and then, and all these pastors, celebrity-type pastors who keep falling because of abuse, because of inappropriate relationships, or because of, uh, of being involved in things that they ought not have been. It seems to me that a pastor who is, a potential pastor who is willing to do something as simple as protect himself from even temptation is showing wisdom. But I'll take it one step further. If a person rightly answers the questions, then how do they practice? Have we done any work to determine how they practice? See, this is why I say when a person says, you know, like, the, like this particular pastor says, that we're not giving voice or giving agency to, 
you're assuming something about what I talk about church uh, elders and leaders that I don't. Because I believe the person who has the greatest responsibility is the person who's going to get up there and speak. And he better be on point and he better be living by it. So I, you know, I am saying the persons who should be leading the charge for any changes in the church should be the individuals that God himself has qualified and are held accountable for their actions. Okay, you assume something wrong when you assume that I'm saying that a person who's in those positions is just kind of an, a body. I'm talking about somebody that better be getting held very accountable for everything they say and do. Because they're the ones that should be holding abusers accountable and caring for the souls that are hurting. And when it happens those individuals are learning about how this went down. And by the way, if you're a pastor listening to this and someone comes to you with this kind of a report, the first phone call you better make is to law enforcement. All right? Because one of the biggest mistakes I think we make in the church oftentimes and how things get covered up is we think we're going to handle it internally. And that's how a victim gets sidelined, and that's how an abuser gets shuffled off to another church. That's a pattern. Pick up the phone. The worst that could happen is this is a false accusation, and investigation happens and clears this individual. Yes, it could be scandalous. Yes, it could be embarrassing. But better that than sending an abuser off to somebody else's church, which has happened way too many times. All right. Now, I will add this, I will add this to it. As, as members of a church, and when we say church, we're assuming a true Bible-believing church. Yeah. But as members of a church, anyone that's a member of your church, especially if maybe if it's someone new that has come in, and over the process of time getting to know them, Maybe it's someone that's been there for a long time that's a, a teacher or a Sunday school teacher or wor- quote-unquote worship leader or one of these other roles or maybe even a deacon or an elder. If there are indications that something's not quite right, whether there's proof or not, whether there's allegations or not, there's absolutely nothing with examining the fruit of that person's profession of faith. Mm-hmm. We're actually called and commanded by the Bible to examine the fruit mm-hmm. of those that we sit among, because Paul said, cast the evil person from among you. Sadly, people today are, are taught, you can't judge someone else. It's wrong to question mm-hmm. whether they're saved or not. It's wrong to question what they believe. It's wrong to question what they're doing. No, the Bible commands the exact opposite. Where to, when it comes to church and those sitting among the pews, we're commanded to cast the evil person from from mm-hmm. among us, meaning that if you know this person is committing adultery, physical physically adultery, he's cheating against his wife, but this person is still in this position within the church, as a member of that church, you have a responsibility to go to the pastor and say, look, things are not right with this individual. Um, you know, it may be a case of misunderstanding. It may be a case of, of this person may need to 
be taught the things of Christ better. But as an individual, as a church member, we do have a responsibility to go to our pastor with concerns when it comes to those that sit among us within the body of the church that are in fellowship under the preaching of this individual or pastor. But if there's something suspicious, we need to go to the pastor about that because sadly, far too many times, people are too naive to even look deeper into into someone that's coming to a church or a ministry involvement within a church. They automatically think, well, you know, they claim to be a Christian, so they must be. In this day and age, no, we cannot assume anything anymore. People have got to stop being so naive and walking around a corner and walking into a bear trap. In this day and age, it behooves each of us to be more discerning, to be more careful, and to actually ask those hard questions. Because do you really want a potential pedophile sitting next to your child during Sunday morning worship? Yeah. And and again, that goes back to the church, which is something people ignored in my article. But I called for the church to step up in this area. I think one of the biggest problems within the church is, hey, we're the forgiveness people. We're not the judgmental people. And it has oftentimes created an environment where these kind of perpetrators know they can hide. We need to step up. This is the, When I say the church leads in this, not, not the victim, not the survivor, but the church leads in this, I'm calling for a massive amount of responsibility. That's what I'm calling for. And I think individuals like this particular pastor, and I understand he thinks he's being respectful. I, I, I don't feel that he was being rude in this, but I feel like he did not hear what I said. I think he heard victim not be platformed, therefore deny agency. Now, the other thing that he said, and th- there was variations on a theme on this, but the way he phrased this, for someone who's a pastor, this bothered me. And it was his final comment in his thread. He says, as a side note, I'm sorry, if this is your side note, I'm really worried. Okay. As a side note, this is an example of the new shift in what sufficiency means. Uh, stop right there. If there's been a shift in this, uh, what sufficiency means, it is from those who have denied the sufficiency of Scripture. Okay. Or who have tried to qualify the sufficiency of Scripture. There's not been a shift in those who understood what the sufficiency of Scripture means. There has been a shift in those who want to bring in other tools, so to speak, instead of Scripture. That's where the shift is. This bothers me. He says, the, so he does a quote, The Bible is the book, best book on healing trauma. First off, I didn't say that. So that's a, that's a paraphrase, not a quote. But then he says, but is it, does it claim to be, full stop, is the Bible the most, or the best book on healing trauma? The Bible is the word of God, first and foremost. It's not just a book. The Bible is God's word revealed. Secondly, throughout scripture, the, uh, it speaks of sin, suffering, pain, loss, hurting, killing, raping, uh, how to hold those individuals accountable in the law. Though, though It speaks of its heroes as those who have sinned in such ways and what was done. 
It speaks of suffering on the part of a Christian and what we are called to. It talks about forgiving those who have wronged us and hurt us. I'm sorry, pastor. Are you telling me that the Bible doesn't speak to trauma? Because it sure sounds like you did, just did. Then he qualifies what he says. Well, maybe within certain aspects of trauma. What sin occurs in this world that is not covered in Scripture? What do you mean certain aspects? But biblical sufficiency means that where it speaks, it is sufficient. Now, I I agree with that. The Bible doesn't tell me how to adjust the timing on the engine of my vehicle. The Bible doesn't tell me the best way to build a rocket to Mars. Okay, So it would not be sufficient for those things. I agree. Absolutely agree with that. What he is saying here is that the Bible doesn't speak to abuse trauma, sexual trauma. And I can say that because virtually every person who yelled at me, who ended up getting muted, said, pastors and churches are not equipped to deal with sexual trauma. Full stop. So what he is saying here, Rich, and this is what really bothers me, is that a person who is a pastor who has qualified what sufficiency means in a way that it does not mean this, is that it can only speak to a certain amount of suffering. It can only speak to a certain amount of tribulation. It can't speak to this form. So therefore, we need something more. We need something outside of Scripture to to help us. And that's what every person who went in full rage mode was saying that you need qualified sexual abuse therapists to deal with these issues. This was a repeated refrain. Go ahead. It tells me they have zero understanding, Mm -hmm. even this pastor, or quote pastor, they have zero understanding of what it means to be a biblical pastor of a biblical church. Of course they need outside help because they are still walking with one foot in the church door and another foot in the world. So they think they need the world to come in and fix what's wrong with the church. And that goes back to what I said at the beginning of this program about there's a lot of buildings with the label church outside of it that are not biblical. They don't truly adhere and follow what Christ commands. And that comment about the Bible not being sufficient when it comes to these type of issues speaks volumes to me about what this person or this supposed pastor truly holds to when it comes to biblical theology. I don't know this man. I know nothing about him. I'm just making, yes, I'm making an assumption based on what he said. But for a pastor to claim the Bible is not sufficient when it comes to something that is a biblical issue tells me or makes me question how much he regards the authority of God and Christ in every aspect of life. But like I said, when it comes to some of these supposed churches, yes, they will claim that we need to bring in an outside therapist because they're actually churches of the world. They're not churches of Christ. I agree. Does that make any sense? No, absolutely. And I think that's the, that, that, that is where so much of this problem lies is that they are pulling in, um, outside tools that are not, they're not biblical tools. And I had one individual it while I was conversing with another person. And this, uh, the, the first, this, this lady that had started responding to me, she was very, 
she I think she was respectful, but she was very push, pushing back very hard. And I think in the end, I think she understood where I was coming from. We actually had a very polite exchange. But this individual, this gentleman comes in and he starts saying, well, who's who's saying they, uh, that they, they should lead and blah, blah, blah. And, and so I'm, I'm saying, did you read my article? Here's what I'm saying. And the last thing he he kind of parts with is, well, I disagree with you that psychology is not a, is not something we should, especially Christian psychology. Let's let's clarify something about psychology. Psychology is a mental health field of sorts that draws as its basis secular humanistic ideologies about the mind, about what it endures, how it works, how it functions. And it is developed by people who were anti-God secularists. Okay, guys like Freud and stuff, okay, and others. These weren't Christians who took from the Word of God the nature of man and deduced how man thinks and works because of his fallen sinful nature and therefore responded with biblical truth. These were individuals who rejected anything other than the, you know, what could be defined by the box of science and had no supernatural components did not denied God and denied sinful uh, the sinful nature of man, and reduced it down to their best guesses from a secular humanist perspective. And then you say, well, especially Christian psychology. Christian psychology is still psychology developed on a secular humanistic basis, and then it attaches somehow the Bible to it. You have something that's anti-God, anti-Scripture, and you want to attach Scripture to it. It doesn't work. Kind of like critical race theory and intersectionality. Okay? It doesn't work. It doesn't connect together. Now, if you're talking about, you mentioned them earlier, Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, who do not deal with secular psychology, but go to the Word of God. Study the nature of man, study the nature of God, study the nature of forgiveness and salvation and suffering and all these things in a biblical manner, and then draw from Scripture how we deal with these issues, that's different. But that's not what this individual spoke to, and neither did this pastor. They One refer to like outside to tools. Go ahead. I'd, I'd like to add a, a bit of a warning, because it, it seems to be coming a bigger, bigger thing with people claiming to be biblical counselors, Christian counselors, Christian psychologists, all these different things, that is an area that is just chock full of potential hazards, mm -hmm. dangers, and everything else. If you're seeking Christian counseling and, and you're, you're looking at a particular individual, you, I would dare say you need to investigate the person's background and character Ten times more so than you might would a local pastor, because whatever that person truly holds to and believes is what you're going to be getting taught and, and told in their counseling methods. I don't know all the solid ones out there. I do know that ACBC is one of the top associations of biblical counselors. They hold their counselors accountable. They have to stay certified. They have to go through continual education courses. Everything about that association is founded in biblical truth. And I know several gentlemen that are members 
of of that association. I also know of one or two individuals that are quote unquote biblical counselors because they took two or three online courses and now they feel qualified mm-hmm. to go out here and to help others. When it comes to the area of seeking a biblical counselor, you got to be beyond careful and do due diligence and, and seek referrals from solid men that are members of some of these associations and just like what I was saying other, earlier, just because they have that name slapped on their door, a Christian counselor, does not mean that their counseling is truly grounded in the biblical word of God. And that's, that's something I just wanted to add and put out there because it is a growing field. And I see more and more individuals popping up here and there using these labels and terms. But as someone that to say if I was going to seek counseling from such an individual, I would probably spend 10 times, 10 times more amount of energy and effort researching that individual and what they truly believe before I would ever let, allow myself, much less a family member, to be counseled by one of these individuals. Yeah, no, I, You've got to be extremely careful. And just like you were talking about the Christian psychologist, that's an oxymoron in itself because... Yes. Secular psychology, like you said, is rooted in atheism to begin with. Absolutely. You know, it is God's Word that we need to use in these situations. We absolutely. I love what uh, you know, his, his name is Nate, but he goes by Theologesus on Twitter. He posted this right before the show started. He, it's almost as if he knew what we were talking about. And he says, <laughs> All what? All scripture. Not all feelings, not all emotions, not all opinions, not all culture, not standpoint epistemology, all scripture. And then he quotes 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That is what we need. We need the word of God. We need that. That's what we need to go to to address these situations, not outside godless ideologies and as you said even those who are certified biblical counselors who are drawing from the word of god there needs to be great scrutiny and again this is where the church needs to step up so to uh, we've been at this for a little while but i still want to address a couple more objections one of the uh, one of these and i think is a it's a it thoroughly it's a thoroughly acceptable question because it this happens This individual had written, would you consider that many victims did reach out in God-honoring appropriate ways in full accordance with Scripture? We were in word, prayed, went to elders and pastors, and it was the pastors who acted wrongly. And then she followed up to say, victims have been silenced and sidelined, continuing to do this will only lead to more of the same. So, this is kind of a two-part issue. She's right, Rich. We just talked about this a little while ago. There are churches who have not rightly handled situations where people were victimized. Absolutely correct. And by the way, there are churches who have handled it rightly. So it's not a whole church issue, but it's certainly you don't get to hear on the evening news. You don't get books written by people who were victimized and then the church handled it rightly. They don't get the spotlight, okay? The people who say we've been victimized and the church didn't, those are the ones that get heard more. 
So when you hear that portion being the voice that's louder, and I don't mean that in negative, some sort of negative way, like a squeaky wheel or something, but that's the voice that appears to be louder. I mean, negative news travels faster. It's reality. You forget that there are churches who these things start to crop up and they're handling it. They're dealing with it. They're not covering it up. They're holding people accountable. They're calling in the police. They're they're you know uh, kicking people out of the church and, and, and excommunicating them. They're counseling people. It happens. We forget that. Okay, so let's not forget that there are churches who deal with this rightly. And and okay, here's an aside. I hate to break this to people. Churches are filled with sinners. From the pastor who's been there for 30 years to the newest person walking in the door. There's sinners there. And guess what? Every one of them, every single one of them, including a person who's a victim of abuse, is capable of and will commit sin inside that church. And because of that, sometimes very bad sins happen. That does not excuse that. It is just a reality that we live in. So when people say, well, this is happening in churches, isn't this a whole church issue? And Stop and think about what you're talking about. Because abuse happens in the workplace. Abuse happens in nursing homes. Abuse happens in churches. Abuse happens in schools, in the marketplace. It happens everywhere because of the world Side that we note. live in. Yeah, go ahead, brother. A lot of those people that claim that, that this is a whole church issue and this is rampant and no church ever addresses it biblically are also the very same one. Some of, well, some of these people are some of the exact same ones that would scream and yell because of church discipline being yes. imposed on them. And sadly, that is a four letter word in today's culture is church discipline. Yes. But there are churches that exercise biblical church discipline among its members. And like you said, you never hear about this. Right, but when when you do hear about it, it's always in a negative way. That I can't believe this church asked us to leave just because of this, this, or this. Oh yeah, that and was that was a big not, that, that was a big thing just a, what a year or two ago. The the news about you know here's all the people that are live you know who are living with their boyfriend or girlfriend, living in a homosexual relationship, and the church gave them a letter and excommunicated them because they wouldn't even come in to address it, and so they got excommunicated. And then they they put it on uh, on the evening news with a picture. I can't believe this church is so mean. It, yeah, yeah, that's but, the only time you hear about it. I agree. And and uh, well, some of those individuals, you know, they they may be allowed to attend church, but then they have a conniption when they're not allowed to become members of a church. Right. But it, it's 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 a very complicated issue, like an onion with tons of different layers. But what I said earlier, is there's no cookie-cutter approach. And sadly, these platformed victims that are, honestly, let's just be blunt about it, making money off of what has happened, because a lot of times some of these individuals are getting paid pretty nice fees to go around and talk about mm-hmm. this book or that book or to speak on this subject. They are profiting from what happened. They have a monetary incentive to stay a victim. And I know that's not the case in every situation, but some of these more high-profile ones you and I have in mind, that is the case. They want to stay in that 
victim status because they're making money off of that victim status. Yeah. And sadly, that's part of it. But some of these same individuals, what it comes back to is the fact that all these buildings with the label church do not exercise biblical church discipline, much less any type of discipline. Yeah. So things like this will happen. But on the same same note, these individuals that are screaming about the church is not doing enough, if that church was actually imposing biblical discipline on its members, would be screaming about the discipline being imposed. Yeah, and, and that's the sad truth about it. So I, I just wanted to address the fact that she says there are elders and pastors who handled it wrongly. We've said that. That happens. There are also, as we said, lots of churches where abuse has been prevented because church discipline is being used uh, or abuse did occur and church discipline handled it and the right things were done, etc. So when we hear, well, but my church didn't, I okay, that's bad. It shouldn't have happened. And those are things that do happen. But remember, not every church failed in the way your church did. Okay, and by the way, all of this assumes that the uh, th that this is a legitimate uh, 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 allegation of abuse. Okay, there are a thousand other ways we could we could qualify this discussion. Okay, especially when there are things like false allegations or people who call abuse something that isn't abuse, or for example. But we're 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 assuming the umbrella of this discussion is actual psychological, sexual, physical, mental abuse, okay? Something of that nature, okay? We're, we're framing it under that. So your church may have failed, and that is wrong, and every person who did that is going to stand before God one day. But not every church does. So let's start with assuming that not every church failed, okay? Secondly, a church failed to do things in the manner that God has prescribed. Does that then equate that we should then make as leaders, which is something God has not prescribed, individuals who have endured abuse, who have survived abuse, and now have their own thoughts about how churches should deal with this, should we then elevate them to an office that's not biblical, that they may not be at all qualified to be doing, when they themselves need the care and uh, you know, counseling of Scripture, should we then make the opposite end mistake and elevate those people? And I would answer the answer is no. Okay, so when you say, well, we tried this, but we were, we were sidelined and we were silenced, and you saying don't platform us, that just makes abuse continue. I disagree. I absolutely disagree because, number one, it assumes that every church failed as your or other churches have failed. I disagree with that because you're going to have a hard time being able to argue that because this sin does happen in churches and because some of those churches have failed, that every church has failed. Why, why are we not talking about the churches who caught it? Why are we not talking about the churches who handled it rightly? Why are we not bringing in victims who have been counseled and, and, and healed through the, 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 the teachings of Scripture? 
Nathaniel and Eki talked about this on their on their program, and I'll actually put this in the show notes on Truth Be Known Radio. I really recommend you go listen to it. You want to hear a pastoral response to this? Go listen to this. Okay, but why are we not listening to those voices? Why are we not talking about victims who have been counseled by pastors? To, to the point of being able to forgive their abusers, who have been counseled by pastors and reconciled and healed, and are, even though they have to live with the mental scars of that, have been able to move forward in their lives, trusting their eyes and fixing their eyes on Christ. Why we don't hear about that? Why are those voices not elevated? See, the problem is the question like this assumes, number one, all the churches are failing it at it. And number two, that anything other than platforming of those voices, and we already said what we meant by platforming, anything other than platforming those voices is silencing or sidelining the victims. And that's simply not true. That's not what we're calling for. We're calling for the church to step up in a biblical manner, lead in this area in a biblical manner, hear from those who are in their, in their walls hurting and suffering because something has happened and learn from those experiences and then lead rightly. This is not, this is a question that is loaded with assumptions. And that's a problem. If you're going to say the church is, the church has failed, you're saying here's this wide swath problem that every church is having. And so therefore the only solution is this. I disagree. And, and, and again, I, I made the argument why in, in the article itself. Um, so this, uh, this, this particular, it, 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 I think we've just answered it, but one, one young lady answered, and I think, again, it has the, uh, I think it has an assumption built into it. She says, I don't disagree with most of your points, but you seem to have left out the abused who have gone through significant healing and are now in a place to speak about it. Why wouldn't they be the best to have the platform? Again, I, I think the issue isn't hearing what they've gone through. And, and, and I like the way she said this, who have gone through significant healing. I, most people didn't ask that question. I, I think the right answer is we can hear those voices. There's a, an appropriate manner to hear those voices, but it's not the victims that lead. Okay. And by the way, there are pastors and leaders who have gone through victim victimhood in their life. The person who got slandered in the SBC convention last year, during this last year, Mike Stone was a victim of such abuse as a child. That's something that none of these guys, I think, brought up. We've got people that God has raised up into leadership positions who have endured. I'm sorry, brother. Go ahead. Well, that's an assumption also that every victim is always a woman. People fail to realize that men can be victims as well, mm -hmm. regardless of what type of abuse you're, you're talking about. Um, and like you were going into that we there are biblical pastors out there pa preaching today that have suffered abuse themselves growing up mm -hmm. or maybe even as adults that are leading biblically and are in positions of leadership but you never hear about any of that you never hear 
the positive stories like you were discussing earlier about churches that have done it right, that victims that have been healed and brought back, just like this lady was putting in, in her question to you. Mm-hmm. You don't hear about those because as sad as it is, they're not sensationalized like the victim stories or the bad news stories. I mean, it's just like regular news cycles on whatever news network you watch. It's all filled with horrible things and all of that. It's like in our sinful nature, we're drawn to that car wreck on the side of the road. We're not as concerned about the one that escaped harm. We focus on, on the tragedy. Mm-hmm. And that just rolls over into daily life, and it rolls over into the church, sadly, when it comes to this issue, that the only ones that get platformed are these victims that are striking out against the church, like they're some type of spiritual warrior trying to fix something that's wrong instead of leaning and looking to Christ. But the, the this last question, they, they it was worded very well, and like you said, the mm-hmm. significant amount of healing. But that goes back, and I'll stand firm on what I said earlier, that if they feel compelled to be in a position to help others, to speak against these issues, then based on especially First Timothy chapter 3, and going into, and I apologize, I don't have it pulled up right off, but in Second Second Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. If you are a victim and you've gone through significant healing and you do feel compelled to speak about these matters, to try to help others that are suffering and going through this, do due diligence just like this verse commands. Become trained. Learn how to be a biblical counselor Sign up and take courses and become a certified ACBC counselor. Do things in the correct order according to God's will, but don't just set out to spout out your own opinion and do a broad spectrum. Well, all churches are guilty of this type of thing. Mm -hmm. There are avenues that are biblical avenues that, whether you're a man or a woman, that you can pursue in order to be better equipped and and to be biblically trained to help others and to lead others in these areas. But sadly, like we talked about earlier, most of these that that we see that are these celebrity platforms, they haven't gone through any of this. And sadly, most of them have never gone through, quote-unquote, significant healing themselves much less to be in a position to be trying to help and advise and counsel others. More times than not, all I see and read and hear coming out of their mouths are more complaints and not offering any true solutions as to the how to prevent these situations from happening. All they do is complain about what has happened, but they don't offer solutions as to how to prevent it from happening in the future. Um, was there some more objections you want to address? I, I, I think there was just, received? there was one more that I just wanted to address in, in, in passing, because we've talked about this before. One of the persons who rep- responded positively to my, my article had said, 
he had two thoughts. One was that saying uh, an abuse survivor has special understanding of how to deal with abuse is like saying a car crash survivor has special understanding of auto safety. We addressed that a little bit earlier. He also said we should not be promoting self-professed abuse victims absent the required two or three witnesses. Now, that goes back to the scriptures, and we've talked about this on the show before. It's been a little while. But, you know, allegations absent uh, any other evidence. And the issue of two or three witnesses. Now, the individual who responded to this, and this is one of those drive-by trolls, okay? And I know because she ends it with, thanks for making the church unsafe. You can just kind of hear the agitation in the way this was written. But she, two or three witnesses, LOL, uh, sexual abuse happens when the perpetrator has the victim alone. So if someone murders another, you can't charge them unless you have two or three witnesses. Seriously? My one abuser admitted his guilt. Does that count? Thanks for making the church unsafe. Now, this kind of objection is there's no this person isn't looking for an answer. Okay? They just want to poke holes in scripture. But Rich, you and I've talked about this before. When someone comes forward with an allegation and they say this person did me harm. And if we if we're doing the right things, the first thing we're going to do is get law enforcement involved, right? There's no other persons. You got you got the individual as the victim and you got the individual who's the alleged perpetrator. Well, it's he said, she said, so therefore can't do anything, right? Absolutely incorrect. All right, there's multiple ways. And, and in fact, one of the ways that law enforcement w deals with some of these cases, you know, t take her, at her thing about murder. Text you know, text, uh, texting records, phone records, video surveillance, you know, uh, forensic evidence. All of these things are witnesses. Okay. So you and I, Rich, might not be in a position to do a full-on investigation, but we can bring people in who can, right? People who are experts in these areas. And there are ways that it, it, as much as we are able to do to get as much evidence that we can to corroborate a story. Sometimes, and this is one of the things that I said in the article, sometimes, or I, I kind of alluded to in the article, I should say, sometimes justice is, is escaped in this life. Her question, her response comes from the believe all women concept. In other words, if the allegation was made, that's enough. That's the evidence. The person is guilty. And you and I, when, when a lot of these discussions were going on a few years ago, there were rape allegations at, at a certain college and everybody was like, uh, or, and then there was the one, there was the issue with uh, uh, Brett Kavanaugh when he was going through his, uh, his confirmation hearings Everybody was like, this woman said, or this woman alleged, and therefore, that is enough. This person's guilty. And for the Christian, that's not the standard. And so what an individual like this, this person, that's what she's mocking. She's mocking the scriptural command for something more than just the verbal allegation. The scriptural command which says to hold someone legally accountable under the law, there had to be evidence of two or three witnesses. And 
in this day and age, we have so much that we can go to that allows for that kind of confirmation. So what she's mocking is the idea that you simply don't receive merely the allegation, therefore that's enough. Um, that's a problem. That's a problem. I understand when people, because you and I had talked about this on the show, and one of the reasons that that conversation was prompted was because of an on, uh, a conversation I had on Twitter with a young lady who had that objection. Now, she was much more polite than this individual was. But she was concerned. It's like, how do you deal with somebody who's endured it, but you can't prove it? And I think that's a valid concern. And that's what I alluded to in the, in the article. One of the ways that we help a person who's endured suffering, but we cannot have justice accomplished in this life because we, as the church, cannot meet the biblical standard. We've tried. We've done what we can. The law enforcement has done what they can. We can't do it because of... There's just something that prevents us. Justice is escaped in this life. It's tragic. It stinks. We hate it. We want people held accountable. Justice is denied in this life. Guess where justice will never be denied? Before a holy God. What this individual objects to is that because we would not pour out justice as she would define it are based on an allegation that that is insufficient. That's just terrible. You failed as a church. You've made the church unsafe. Rather than saying I hate that justice is denied, but that person will stand before God. You may not be able to believe this woman. You may not be able to do anything for her. You can counsel her, sure. You can help her, great. But that guy should be held accountable. But because it can't be, well, one thing I do know is that individual will be held accountable before a holy God. That is how we address that issue. I'll tell you right now, if churches did church discipline, if churches held people accountable, if churches pointed to the fact that your sin is not escaped God, instead of saying, well, they're just backslidden. They're still in Christ. We can't judge. Where they've allowed for this kind of stuff to build and fester and said, you will be held accountable for a holy God. If you have done anything that you think you have gotten away with, understand that you will be held accountable for a holy God and you will be condemned to the fires of hell because you sat there and lied as well as did what you did. How many people would be comfortable in that church? How many people would want to stick around and commit those kind of offenses? I dare say that they wouldn't have said, they wouldn't have, <laughs> remained a member of the Church of Corinth under Paul yes. based on Amen. First Corinthians. Now, now I want to um, say... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, brother. And there's one other thing I do want to say just, about that, though. I, I just wanted to add to this, that a church that does not exercise church discipline is definitely providing a pathway of abuse Amen. to those that belong to that church. Amen. Amen. One other flip side to this, because I know an individual like this will automatically go to it. Well, you've got those legalistic churches, and they're 
they're they're they're all authoritarian and they're you know they're 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 leading with an iron fist back up yes there are churches like that and abuse happens in them you're absolutely right and you know why because they're not following the scriptures when you have a church that has an iron-fisted rule and a, a, a and a outside of scripture bizarre interpretation of you know some weird legalistic concept get out of that church because that is another environment this goes back to how can i mitigate risk to myself if you've got an iron fisted that that pastor is never to be questioned or that leader could never do anything wrong and we we <laughs> we 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 worship the vision of the pastor kind of mindset get out get out of there because if 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 the, if the kind of abuse we're talking about doesn't happen something else is going to happen it is an abusive environment get out Okay, that's not a biblical church. I'm sorry if you. Yes, there are small country churches where you got one pastor and 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 a couple of deacons, and that's it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about these pound and fist and how dare you question me and I know and and and, and you do what I say because I'm the pastor. I know. If you hear have that kind of environment, get out. Get out. Because that is an environment also ripe for abuse. If you've got churches practicing a form of discipline that has nothing to do with the Bible, get out. Well, the Lord himself said not to lord it over them like the Gentiles mm -hmm. do, meaning not to rule with an iron fist as a church leader or a pastor. Um, I mean, that a pastor, part of the qualifications is being humble and being able to control their temper and control their emotions and not, you know, those type of churches and pastors you're talking about basically become puffed up themselves in their own authority that has been given them over that church. Yeah. And, you know, I, I understand what you're talking about. And sadly, a lot of those legalistic type churches that, like you said, rule with an iron fist, those exist in this day and age too. Yes. In this day and age, about anything you can imagine is prevalent in some type of church out there. Yeah. But one thing I'd like to kind of address very briefly as we're closing out is we need to ask, when people talk about abuse, we need to hold them firm and ask them to define what they mean yes. by abuse because I ended up with a few side conversations because of your post, and sadly... A lot of people throw that word around, but the way they define abuse and the way the Bible defines abuse are completely two different things and two quick examples. There's many sitting among churches today that if you talk about spanking a child, mm -hmm. they automatically call it abuse or child abuse. The Bible teaches us to correct our children, to spank our children, to discipline our children that's not popular anymore because of the liberals and, and everything else that goes on. Yes, you can take that too far. Yes, spanking can become child abuse if it's overexerted or in certain circumstances and situations, but disciplining a child according to the Bible is not abuse. Mm -hmm. 
spanking, take, taking your hand and popping the kid on the rump is not abuse. One other thing, especially among some women who deny the Bible's command that only men should preach, I've seen this from several, and one really well-known one puts this out on a regular basis, claims psychological abuse because men around her tell her that women are not mm-hmm. to be pastors or teachers in a church. That is not abuse. That is someone stating facts from the Bible. Just because, in your opinion and in your mind, you should be able to do what you want to, and you think that you should be able to be a pastor of a church, those men are not committing psychological abuse. That is not abuse, period. That is simply fact stated from the Bible. And I just wanted to kind of clarify that because in today's age, when people talk about abuse, and especially in two or three of those that responded to you, if you start asking them specific questions on how they define some of these terms, you'll find out that their definition does not match the biblical definition because guess what? They're not Christians or don't claim to be Christians to begin with. Yeah. And, and that's, that goes back to that, that issue of that I raised in the article that you can have someone because they say that they're a victim of abuse, they're a survivor of abuse, we're afraid to have them define things in a biblical manner. And it, that kind of, it's this kind of that standpoint epistemology that says, well, women know what sexism and oppression is because they're women and they've been impacted by sexism and oppression and they just know. Or a person of color knows what racism is because they, that's been their whole existence. So they just know. You don't, they don't get, you don't get to make them define it. You don't get to make them prove it. And that's the kind of the same situation here. It's appealing to the kind of standpoint epistemology that says, if a person says they're a victim, they're a victim and you have to believe them and you have to hear them and you have to uh, do what they say to deal with this systemic problem. And that's what we're having. And so when you have individuals like who you were referring to and some others that we've we all know on Twitter that 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 thrive under the idea of well if they can't be a pastor that's that's oppression that's sexism that or if you if you have this kind of mindset toward uh, you know w- roles of men and women in the church that's oppression and abuse uh, if you if you believe in a patriarchal or complementarian structure that that sets up for abuse that was an interesting conversation I got in not long ago. Um, I, I, I had one as well. Yeah. So when we when we say that we need, you know, people leading these things need to be qualified, and they and they they need to be individuals who are doing so biblically. There's a reason because what we're starting to see more of, as we fail to question, fail to qualify fail to make sure that the persons who are leading these issues are people qualified to be in those positions of leadership, we are watching the church be pulled a certain direction. And that's not a healthy thing. It's being pulled away from the sufficiency of Scripture, 
going back to that one particular pastor's objection. Well, it's only sufficient in the things it talks about. It's true. But it talks about these things. You're rejecting that concept. Well, it talks about it only in, in a certain amount. What else do you need? You have every sin under the sun explained in Scripture. And you see how, how God expects us to hold people accountable for these things. And for those who are hurting and how to comfort them, what else could you call for? Oh, well, well they we, reject we, it because they reject the Bible and reject the Word of bingo. God and reject God's way because they think they know better than God because they want to be God themselves. And that's the problem. When we bring in outside sources and say, the Bible just isn't sufficient here, it is a rejection of God's word. And that somehow fallen man with a godless ideology can somehow... Oh, <laughs> my computer started to go wonky because one of my kids is trying to do uh, FaceTime, I think. <laughs> I said my screens went weird. So sorry, folks. But when you have this outside source being appealed to by people who reject God and his word, how are you possibly going to bring healing into someone's life? The most you can hope for is to help them learn to live with it. Where God's word brings you to a place of healing. You can manage your pain under secular psychology with medication and, and constant trips to the therapist. Or you can, you can spend your time in the Word of God being led by someone who cares for your soul and cares for your relationship with God into a place of healing, recognizing sin that was done to you, but not letting that sin that was done to you define you. I, I think I'm going to go with God's Word on this. So folks, I, please understand, there were probably a thousand, well, I'm being a bit you know, uh, hyperbolic. There, there was probably, I don't know, dozens of, of people who got muted or blocked or, you know, um, had objections or concerns uh, toward the article. I, I will say, Rich, after, I mean, in, it's been four or five days since I dropped the article. So, uh, and by the way, thanks to Tom Buck, my goodness, how, how, how generous it was of him to share that and, and say what he did. It was very kind of him to, to put that out there. It was uh, it was on the sixth, so it's been four days uh, since the article dropped, and it's had nearly a thousand views. Which, look, I get it. We're 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 it's not a Ligonier article. It's not a Grace T U article. It's not going to get ten thousand views in a day. I get that. For us, that was that's pretty big. That nearly a thousand people have read this article. Um, the the interesting thing is that the vast majority of the responses I got were quite positive. Um, and some from people who identified themselves as victims of abuse. Uh, there was one person that left a comment on, I, I, she left a public comment on the article. As a survivor, I wholeheartedly concur. You have put into words something I have been thinking for quite some time. This platforming has been occurring that has been occurring has been very bothersome as it gives lip service to Christian love, but simply does not point to the cross and our King. Gene Hines, thank you. You're, you left your name, so I'm going to say it publicly. Gene Hines, thank you. Um, there were many people who responded just that way. 
with just that kind of, uh, I think, graciousness, that they they themselves had endured abuse. Uh, one particular lady who's a, a, a friend of mine on, on social media articulated how the man should never be anywhere near a pulpit, in my opinion. Tried to convince her that to be in relations with him was okay because his spouse was, as she put it, frigid. And that would make it okay. Praise God she got away from that scenario. But yet she she agreed with the, the, the article. Others who gave limited amount of testimony, but these are individuals that the objectors don't identify, they don't identify them. They don't recognize them because they don't have the right response. And the right response is you have to platform, you have to give voice to, you have to give agency to. I understand why we ought never to silence victims. I agree. But hearing, listening to versus leading different things. Different things. That was the point of the article. Different things. Well, brother, there's. I want to say this real quick in closing. There's a huge difference between giving a victim a voice and platforming a yes. victim to the status of celebrity. A- agreed. Absolutely agreed. And that's really what I wanted to drive at in this article. And so I hope the people that read it understand. I think a lot of people did understand, and I'm grateful for it. I hope that this article helps people to understand that the church has a duty to step up. Stop letting the victims, or expecting the victims to lead you. You step up, church. You step up and do the work you're called to do. Don't put the victims who need our care and our love and our grace and our counseling and our healing in that place. That's wrong. That's not their role. Shouldn't be their role. Rather, church, step up and do the job you're supposed to do. All right. Any last thoughts? It's been nearly two hours. I hope our uh, our listeners have been kind and didn't cut us off midstream. Uh, I, but I, I, I felt that these objections were worth discussing. Chris Huff, by the way, thank you for suggesting that. I love this idea as a topic. And I, I agree it needed to be it needed to be delved into. But this wasn't something you could do flyby. So uh, anyway, any last thoughts, Rich? Well, just like I try to close each week, whatever you do this week, make it a point to proclaim the way of salvation at least once a day. Amen. Amen. Folks, go out and be the church. Be the body of Christ. Be used in the way that you're called to be. Equip others. Grow in grace. Help those who are hurting. Hold accountable those who are in sin. But whatever we do, let's stop flipping the script. God's way is the best way. The world doesn't have anything it can offer to the church to do it better. Thank you for being with us this week. We really appreciate your time. Figured since we'd be gone two weeks, we'd go a little longer. Does that sound good, guys? All right. God bless you. We'll see you next time.